Hello and welcome to Happy Place, the show that unpicks wellness practices you might have heard of so you can properly digest if they might be right for you. I'm Fern Cotton and today I'm chatting to Giselle Lepomp Moore. I found um, the law of attraction at 15 and I was just like, this is it. This is how I'm going to pass on my GCSEs. And I just started to manifest and I realised really early on that I'm really powerful. And I think that was just the greatest gift that I had in my whole life was just that realisation so early in my life that I have power to do things here that are beyond my control. I first met Giselle over Zoom, thanks pandemic, last year because I wanted to speak to her when I was writing my book Bigger Than Us. And I was so keen to get her on Happy Place so that we could have even more space to explore the work that she does. She's a spiritual guide and teacher and has just written her first book, Take It In, Do the Inner Work, Create Your Best Damn Life. I'll let her explain what she does properly in just a moment. But she basically takes a brilliant, modern and down-to-earth approach to spirituality, which I just love. Fewer superstitions and hierarchies, more practical tools to help you return back to your true, authentic self. Giselle came round to mine a couple of weeks ago and I actually got her (laughs) a little gift, which luckily she loves. In the book, I read that she adores pandas. She's absolutely crazy for them, which she says in the book doesn't fit her general, very sort of classy aesthetic, usually. But she's mad for pandas. So I bought her this cute little panda pen pot and she loves it. Anyway, in this chat, we really got into how we can all learn to hear what our intuition is telling us about who we are and what we want. We've got to stop looking to others for answers because if we trust ourselves, we've already got all the answers within us. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. All right, this is the show. Hi. It's so lovely to meet you properly face to face because this is our first actual meeting in the flesh, which I think is quite a prevalent occurrence with people after this last two years. I feel like I know you, but I haven't met you. 100%. It's like we have these little 3D-esque images of people through like phones and Zoom, but nothing beats a 360 of you. Nothing beats it. No. Nothing beats it. And I, although... I wasn't planning to make any friends in the pandemic. I made so many new friends that I've collaborated with, learned from, spoken with. It's actually been quite an expansive time in that way. And I met you on Zoom um, when I was writing my last book, Bigger Than Us, and you very kindly contributed, which I'm so, so grateful for. And I've had a private session with you doing tarot, which I absolutely loved, I've sent friends your way. It's been a really lovely time getting to sort of learn from you and see your work and now read your actual book. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Look at it. 
Yeah, I was very, very, very conscious of the cover design. The cover design is exceptional. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, look at it. It looks like it's literally chiselled out of marble. <laughs> it's so dreamy. You must be so happy. With it. And it's a chunky old book. It is chunky. And I think I was just very aware of, like, you know when you get on the train and you're reading a self-help or spiritual book and they have these titles like How to Heal from Your Abandonment Wound. <laughs> and it's very bright and yeah. very colourful. And I was just like, I want this to look very chic. Coffee table. Yeah. But if you do take it on the train, people don't know that you're really working through all of your stuff. It just looks like a fashion or a lifestyle book. Perfect, because it is quite exposing. It's exposing anyway, even if you're reading a novel, that people can assume things about you due to the genre of book you're reading. Yeah. So it's nice that this is almost kind of, it could be anything. Mm. You just, until you read the subtitle, which is do the inner work, create your best damn life, which I, um, I guess through my working life, but also just my general interests, um, constantly intrigued to learn new ways to do this and it's not easy and it's also a life's work and I think that's the thing that you tackle brilliantly in the book is we're all so obsessed with getting a quick fix of things like well if I read that book or I do this course or I try this manifesting trick that then we're like fixed or sorted whereas this is fun this is curious this is a chance to explore a subject for forever it's not like we're going to, like, oh, in a month, I'm going to feel wicked about everything. It just doesn't work like that. For sure. And I think, you know, obviously, books are really well that have a formula and four steps and five rules. You know where you begin and you know where you end. And for me, I was just like, but we're, we're humans and we don't really work in steps and rules and formulas because we are so cyclical and spiralic and episodic that surely if we're doing any work, it can't be in a very linear way. And I wanted just to really make this work feel like it's just a part of living life, just with some more awareness and intention and some more hope, because this work has to work for all of us. Otherwise, spiritual doesn't work for anyone. Yeah, I think we both approach spirituality within like in the same way. And I sometimes approach the word spirituality sort of tentatively. I feel a bit nervous saying it because people do have a preconceived idea of like what it should mean or what it is. But I think from reading your book and knowing the work that you do, it's like, it's just life. It's just living. And in your book, there are not only anecdotal stories, but also tips, advice and and moments for us to actually stop. And ha- well, as you just said, have that awareness. It, it, it's simple. It's not like we need to go on some fancy retreat or buy a certain expensive crystal or, you know, you talk about this in the book, spirituality is not like a cute little hobby or something a bit weird and hippie where you have to go to some shop that sells wind chimes. This is just like living your life. For sure. And I think that, you know, recently as spirituality has risen so much in prominence, which is amazing, Yeah, it's also come with it, you know, so many rules and expectation and superstition of you can only be spiritual if... Yeah. If you know something, if you have a crystal, if you know how to manifest, if you speak a certain way, I'm like, well, we're all spiritual beings because we're all here at the same time and existing on this very crazy, messy planet. So we're just spiritual because we exist. And I think having that approach just means that we're not trying to do anything to be here or to be spiritual. And we can't buy our way into it. Because what we're buying into is just stuff, right? So it is just more crystals and more cards and more decks and (laughs) more sage and all of these things. And I just feel like if you just have this core foundation of I know that I'm enough because I'm here, 
all the other things following moon cycles, tarot decks are just optional extras to help me out. Yeah, and can be super fun. Like totally. I love dipping in and out of things, but I, I, I've certainly in the last probably five years lost my expectation that these things are going to fix everything. But I can try them. They can be soothing, a comfort. I can learn from them. But actually it is just a general awareness of life, how you react to the situations that are happening. And it is for everybody. And I guess one of the most sort of like, you know, maybe I could use the word toxic, toxic things about how spirituality has been perhaps commodified or how it's talked about some of the time. And I spoke to my mum about this, who came on the podcast recently, is that we then feel that we have to be these virtuous, pure beings. And that if we do a bad action, have a negative thought, think badly of someone or whatever it is, that we've failed. Oh, I'm getting spirituality wrong as well now as everything else because we we keep feeling like we're falling short of everything. And and it's not that. It's acceptance of our own on mass limitations mm. as humans, but also looking at the fact we can be really expansive at the same time. For sure. And I always say that, you know, spirituality is not a private members club. We can't have rules of who can come in and who can't and right or wrong ways to do it. Because I think so much of that toxic spirituality is chasing enlightenment. And we can, you know, sometimes get these moments of enlightenment, but they could just be with you like, you know, holding your dog or playing with your kids. Like that to me is enlightenment. We don't have to leave, you know, the city or to leave, you know, supermarkets to go and find enlightenment we're just trying to find moments of joy and bliss and peace wherever we are especially when times feel really difficult and I think so much of that language around you know if you think something bad then something's going to happen to you we are given emotions for a reason Mm -hmm. is to be in all of them and we can learn so much by just going through the emotions of it so when we say to ourselves well if I think something bad I'm trying to manifest what if the car doesn't come I'm like, I just don't think, you know, we're not superheroes. No. Like, imagine if we every single thought that we had had a consequence. The world would be an absolute mess. Yeah. So we can harness, you know, the beauty of the power of our mind, but we can't allow it to be where we don't experience life. Which is a relief to hear, because I think like many people, when we read or hear about manifesting, it can be simplified quite a lot. And then we go... Oh my god, I'm I'm failing at manifesting. I'm not and I and sometimes like yesterday for instance, I'm always very frank and honest on here. I had a shit day where mm. I just everything went a bit wrong and I had a really difficult dynamic at play and I felt really agitated and angry and I had pain in my shoulder which I knew was like all part of it. Mm. That wasn't a great state to be manifesting brilliance in my life. I, I was literally emitting like rage and Mm. like ugliness I was admitting it because I felt it and I need to hear that that yeah okay that's fine you're a human Mm. you're allowed to feel that we don't have to be in this like blissful manifestation sort of state of mind the whole Mm. time because it's unrealistic yeah and like what would have happened if you know last night one of your kids got sick yeah or if you fell over or if something bad happened you'd have blamed yourself totally you'd have been like well because I've put out so many bad vibes I've caused this to happen and it's like life is exhausting as it is and bad things happen all the time and we can't trace back to okay on Wednesday April 2nd 2002 (laughs) I thought something pretty bad about someone who walked past me so I must have caused my illness Mm -hmm. I must have caused this thing to happen and it's like, imagine if we did that, it'll be so exhausting. And, you know, yesterday was an invitation for you to say, well, how can I just give myself some grace tonight? Yeah. But yeah, life is going to be a series of shit days. 
interspersed with joyful ones, we just roll through them. Yeah, it's messy as hell. So messy. So messy. And, and it just yeah, is. Exactly. And I think sometimes it is not fighting that it is. Yeah. I think we can sometimes say to ourselves, well, I don't deserve to be here. I don't mm. deserve to have the bad day. Isn't it a weird mix of like, this is just coming to my head, how we punish ourselves in those mm. moments where we think like, oh my God, I've got it wrong. That's why this shit's happening. It's almost this weird hybrid of a very, very old, almost religious way of thinking mm-hmm. that like you will go to hell thousands of years ago. If you're bad, you will go to hell. Mm. But combined with what we see on social media and what we assume about others, it's like we're, we think we're facing punishment constantly mm. because of this perhaps old-fashioned religious hangover that we we can acknowledge. Mm. But also, we're mixing that with, oh, my God, look at everybody else totally getting it right. Mm. And it's me that isn't. Like, we're in a weird place with, well, I guess just how we think about life. And, you know, social media does have a big part of that, I think. Yeah, I think there's so much judgment. And I think even, I think people assume that spirituality is very different to religion. Like, it depends on what's branch of spirituality you believe in because within the space that I work in there are so many hangovers from religious paradigms which are well you have to follow these rules and you have to do these things because you know well, we're not you know talking about hell here we're saying you'll manifest all these bad things you'll manifest illness you'll manifest stress you'll manifest trauma so have we really changed no so for me it's like spirituality has to change because we have changed, the world has changed. So we can respect our spiritual teachers from the past as well as saying, maybe it looks a bit different. Yeah. And I said in the book too that, you know, we speak about things like the paleo diet and while we can, you know, work out the nutritional benefit of them, why would you want to eat like our ancestors did? Yeah, don't live in a cave. They didn't have Instagram <laughs> and emails <laughs> and whole foods. a cafe that does, yeah, exactly, like a cafe that does smashed avocado on toast. Exactly. So it's like, why would we expect, you know, to be manifesting in yeah. the same way or to even, you know, use prayer in the same way? Because we've evolved. So the mm. things that we need to be able to thrive and survive here have to change too. Yeah, no, absolutely. So let's let's quickly talk about what you do because you've got some really interesting stuff going on career-wise. And I want to go into your backstory in a bit. But first, so you're a trauma-sensitive meditation teacher, a tarot reader, as I very well know, a Reiki master, and a Kashic Records practitioner. Talk to me about that. I don't know mm. anything about that. Yeah, so Akashic Records are super interesting. And it's one of those spiritual things you have to like suspend belief for a second. Okay. So if someone I'm really says, good at that. Yeah, I like so doing that. So if someone's like explaining it, I'm like, we should just do a session. Okay. <laughs> because if I explain it, you're going to probably be like, I'm not doing that with no, you. No, I won't. I, the weirder I'm, I'm in, like the weirder Love the better. This. Yeah. So basically it's just like a little mini shift in consciousness. So we'll be exactly as we are now. I'll say a non-religious prayer to get us into the records yeah and just like imagine siri but for your soul so you can ask siri anything about your past lives your current life future lifetimes so you might say to siri i had a shit day yesterday what am i supposed to be doing right now what's the teaching what am i here to learn about that and then i just like start channeling these like streams of consciousness it's very weird i'm just like typing it in my laptop like well there's all this stuff coming through and i'll share that with you in like you know human speak (laughs) and um, there's like some really great guidance in there and you know, people sometimes come for like past lives. Um, they might be in like a romantic relationship and they're like, I just can't get rid of them. It's very on and off. Lots of like, there's something more than just this lifetime. Yeah. And we sometimes find maybe it's like your brother in a past life. Yeah. No, I'm I'm open to anything. I always come back to the foundation of 
I know nothing. Mm. I literally know nothing. So I'm open to everything because we don't have any solid fact or proof on anything. Even, you know, people just saying, oh, well, there was a big bang and then we evolved into humans and we're just here. Okay, that's an element of it, but we don't know the rest. So I am open to all of it. And I've had so many different really exciting sessions Mm. over the years that I've loved and I've gained so much from, whether it's understanding or just a sense of comfort or knowing myself Mm. a little bit better. I think it's absolutely incredible. And you say in the book, you know, and obviously I've done tarot with you, that you're not healing somebody, Mm. you're facilitating their healing. So talk to me about that and Mm. how the sort of the the energy of that, the energetic transfer of that. Yeah, so you think that, you know, the thing that's in common with all of the practices I do, be it tarot records or meditation, is I'm just guiding you through the process. I'm holding your hand through your life experiences. And I think for me, there has to be that empowerment given back to my client because I think so much in this space, we outsource our healing to someone else. So we say, well, I can't work this out. So you have to be able to work this out. So I'm asking you to heal me. And in that process, you know, I get called like a healer in magazines. I'm always like, I'm not a healer at all. And there's people who stand really proudly in that and that's completely fine and their choice. But for me, your body knows how to heal itself. So if you have like, you know, a scabby knee, your knee knows how to heal. You may have to get a plaster and keep it clean to facilitate the healing process, but your body knows how to. So on an emotional, mental and spiritual level, you know how to heal. Mm. But because we're so disconnected to those bodies, it feels so incredibly far away and out of our control. So my work is just to almost be that mirror to you that says, well, let's look at this. So I don't think there's any point for me in fortune telling. I don't think there's any point in wowing you for past life. I'm only telling you that stuff to help you with what you're going through right now. So even if I'm telling you about, you know, that you were a skier in France in like 1600, it's not just for fun. It's because there's something within that past life that may help you to navigate your marriage right now. So I'm always bringing things back to what's happening now and how can we work through that. But it's again, it's really liberating for all of us to hear that we have the propensity to heal in in an emotional sense, moving through very challenging aspects mm. of life. But first of all, it's not promoted mm. because, you know, on a really superficial level, advertising works on the basis that we are lacking and we need something and then we buy it and we're supposedly happier, mm. but we're not. And we know that, but we're sort of stuck in that cycle. But also, I guess, on a perhaps a more global level, mm. Humans are more easily controlled when they feel a bit out of control or scared. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not readily promoted that we have the inner power to do that, that we can heal ourselves, that we've got all the knowledge, all the mm. wisdom. It's in every single one of us. So it is brilliant that you can just say to someone, it's all, it's all in there. Like, you've yeah. got it. You can do it. Because, you know, I've certainly over the years had periods where I've gone, I'm so stuck. I'm lost. There's no way out of this. I cannot see the the wood for the trees. So, so you help me. You you do it. And I think you do have a realization that you know, although that might not have entirely fixed the problem, it's been helpful. But you were doing the work. You were the one working through it and making it happen. And that whoever it is practitioner healer mm. is so skilled in, like you say acting as a mirror to, mm. to get you to see that. I find it so amazing. So let's let's go back. So let's first of all talk about your story mm. and how you ended up. Because I know that you, as a child, knew that you had mm. an incredible intuition and then in your teens kind of just poo-pooed it and went, mm. I'm not looking at that. 
but you can't ignore that sort of stuff. So just talk to me about how you ended up where you are today. Yes, yeah, so I grew up in like a Catholic church. So my thinking was very binary and linear. I just thought, okay, I'm here and we'll go to heaven or go or we'll go to hell and I'll do everything in my power to avoid going to hell. Yeah. Sounds like the bad <laughs> Sounds place. Sounds really, really hot and really horrible there. Exactly. But I was just very aware that I was just always asking questions. And I think it was definitely because I'm an only child. So when my friends were on the playground, I was just like, I wonder why I have an arm. Mm. There could be so many things that we could have. Why is this here? And I would look in the mirror and be like, wow, like I'm just like a human being. And I thought this was very normal until I realized it was not that normal. I should have just been playing with my dolls. Um, (laughs) But I was just very curious about life and why we were here and how we were here. So I think I always felt that within my skin, I was beyond my skin. And I was trying to find an answer for that since a very young age. And I think the first realizations of that, knowing that I was a spiritual being, was just knowing that, oh, I had a dream last night that something happened and then it happens. I knew that my paternal grandmother died before she died, uh, before my, my, my dad told me. And just like these little breadcrumbs of things, I was just like, huh, do you do that as well? And everyone's like, no. I do not do that. It's weird. And I think, you know, when you get to a certain age, you're just like, I don't know if this is cool. Yeah, it's a shame that that gets beaten out of us, isn't it? It's kind of really do think, you know, and I see in my work now that when we're younger, we're so connected to spirit, whatever you want to call it. We're so connected. Yeah. And it's like, are, do we have imaginary friends or is it actually just like spirit talking to us? Mm. And I was convinced for such a long time that maybe we all are just so connected when we're younger, but we just, yeah, life happens, boys happen, and we get distracted by you know, shopping and makeup and stuff. So I just ignored it until I think maybe around 15 and I was doing my GCSEs and I was like, there has to be an easier way. Mm. I don't feel like I want to study as hard as everyone else is. Mm. So I was just like, um, I'll just wait and see what happens. And I found um, the law of attraction at 15. And I was just like, this is it. This is how I'm going to pass all my GCSEs. And I just started to manifest. And I realized really early on that I'm really powerful And I think that was just the greatest gift that I had in my whole life was just that realization so early in my life that I have power to do things here that are beyond my control. Yeah. And I think, you know, I had a traumatic childhood. So my mum nearly died when I was eight years old. My parents broke up when I was 15. I was raped when I was 15. And I felt like my whole life was a series of life happening to me. Um, We were made homeless and I just really felt like a victim of life. So having that shift to, I can do something with that. That was a huge turning point for me. I had two options. I lived in um, East London, in Tower Hamlets. And I was just, I was around drugs all the time and I was around gangs. And I just thought, I have two choices here. I can either surrender to that or I can do something else. And there was just not an option for me. So I think that crucial moment of realizing that I had power to do something, even when the entire world said I couldn't, was everything. I mean, it's extraordinary because it is the age as well where we're so influenced as a teenager to do what our friends are doing or just follow the crowd, even if it's revising for exams, whatever. So it's amazing you were able to just tune into your intuition that you knew was there, sort of lying dormant, and and to go with that. And I think it's also a really interesting point when we're talking about manifesting, which I keep going back to because I'm sort of ever curious Mm. and sort of never feel like I really properly understand it. But in the book, you talk about this saying, okay, so you you had that realisation, which was a huge turning point Mm. for you. But but manifesting isn't that simple. So you were saying in the book that you had 
cognitively an issue with money or mm-hmm. you thought there was you just couldn't get it it wasn't in your grasp but it wasn't as simple as I'm just going to manifest loads of wealth let's go first of all you had to look at your ancestry mm-hmm. the racism that you'd been subjected to where you lived how your parents had survived mm. and after unpicking that then you can go I'm ready yeah let's start afresh so I'm imagining you know, it, it's always an interesting combination when there's a spiritual element teamed with whatever you want to call it, inner work or mm. if it's therapeutic work or your own sort of self-healing. That's really powerful when teamed together. For sure. I think there is, you know, we always want proof of things working. So, so much of manifesting now is linked to like neuroscience, for example, as a way to legitimise it, which obviously it helps, you know, to sell courses and books and so on yeah. to say that, you know, there's actual science behind this. And for me, it's just like... I just believed in something and I just trusted that that thing that I believed in would help me to navigate a human experience. And that was what my manifesting practice looked like because, you know, when you are, yeah, 15, you're in temporary accommodation because you're made homeless and you're sitting there thinking, the only way out of this is if I win the lottery or become a millionaire through manifesting. And then you realise, well, how can I get out of here? And, you know, the books then say, well, if you, if you haven't received it yet, you've done something wrong. yeah. And I realized, you know, through from 15 to now that so many people are struggling with manifesting as a practice and saying, it's not working for me. And when I tell the teacher it's not working, I just keep saying, you're not doing the work hard enough. And I sat to myself and I realized, well, what's the work that they're telling you to do? And the work was just, you know, to think positively or to believe it will happen or to go to work or to take action. I was like, well, what about the stuff you're carrying? Because when I was in that room, homeless with no money, my mom's on benefits, how am I going to manifest my way out of that? Because I believed in something that could have that power, but fundamentally my belief system was shot. Yeah. I didn't have anything to believe in. So it has to take more than belief for us to manifest. It has to account for our actual human reality because that's, we're also, you know, we're both, right? So we're spiritual beings, but we're also human beings. And I think we have to account for the trauma that people have experienced, racism, do you go up with money or not? That will hugely impact if you can manifest, you know, yeah. 10,000 pounds. And what you're told as a kid, you know, like you said, whether it is racism or if you've had health issues and you're told you can or can't do certain things around that, or just if you had parents that didn't give you sort of self-esteem and self-belief, you know, we have to look at that stuff before Mm. we get to the bit where we go, now I'm open to working through this and, you know, in whichever way you choose within the sort of spiritual genre, it's... um, Again, I think it's really liberating. It's really li- rather than us sort of keep feeling, I'm getting it wrong, I'm getting it wrong, I'm not manifesting, I'm not working hard enough, I'm not believing this enough. It's mm. it's not that simple. And I think that can sometimes be the sort of problem with how spirituality can be talked about very mm. generally, is that it's really sort of truncated and simplified. Your book isn't, as mm. I said, it's chunky as hell. Mm. It's all in there. And you break this stuff down so we can feel empowered. It's about empowerment, isn't it? Feeling mm. like you have some control over your life. And an acceptance of the bits where we don't have any control, which is also going to be a thing. So when talking about your backstory, I was Mm. also so intrigued and loved reading about your maternal great-grandmother. Is that correct? Again, when my mum came on the podcast, it was a real opportunity to look at the sort of poor mental health that had been in her side and her lineage. And that found really, I guess, empowering, Mm. learning about that. But your maternal great-grandmother, you learned, had all this amazing wisdom and knowledge and these very specific practices mm. that she used. So so tell me a bit mm. about that. I think it was 
when I realized that she did, it came at the perfect time because in the spirituality space, we're speaking a lot about, you know, who has access to this work. We're speaking about cultural appropriation and the use of certain practices and tools and who's allowed to use them. And also it's like, you know, it's just not a very diverse space at all. I didn't see anyone reflected back to me who looked like me when I started doing this work five years ago. And it was really hard to accept that. I questioned all the time, am I allowed to be here? And I think, too, there was, you know, on the other side of the spectrum was the conversations around, well, you know, if you are, you know, black, for example, or from like a poverty background or financial insecurity, then manifesting just might not be for you because, you know, you just need like some actual money and some action. You have no time to be thinking positively. And when I've realized that, you know, my great grandmother did this work and she was, you know, a doula and a healer, she did cupping and she was such a woman of faith. And I realized so much of that just passed through me. And, you know, she was in Trinidad in the West Indies, incredibly poor. My family had just like no money and she worked incredibly hard, you know, physically, but her faith carried her through. And if you ask anyone in my family today, she was always like the most well-dressed woman in their community. And she was always just like, you may not be rich, but when you leave this house, make sure you feel that way. So it's like, was that not manifesting, right? And, you know, she did things like these yoni steams on women who couldn't get pregnant. Way before Gwyneth. Way before. And it's like, yeah, we, we laugh at those things now, right? And it's like, but that's our ancestry. Yeah. So none of this work can be a trend because it's from our ancestry. It's part of our blood and our lineage. So of course it's our work to do here. And I think it's, I find it so hard that, you know, so many people in the black community don't engage with spirituality because of Christianity primarily. And it's so hard to accept that because it's exactly our work to do. And it was stolen and removed from us. Um, The same with, you know, in India, Ayurveda wasn't allowed to be practiced there because of colonial rule. And it's really hard now feeling like, well, why are we not seeing as many, you know, Indian practitioners doing Ayurvedic practices and so on? So I think there is like this really great space for us to be moving these things forward, but also recognising where they came from. Absolutely. I mean, that's been certainly one of the joys for me is learning about all of these different practices and, and the origins and that will forever be interesting. And, you know, luckily I get to have these conversations all the time or if I'm doing research for the books and have these conversations and and learn this stuff because we'll only be presented with a very two-dimensional version of all of these practices unless we dig a little bit deeper because they'll get warped and moved on and and also you know you talk about cultural appropriation in the book in a really wonderful very expansive way Mm. where Yes, you're absolutely looking to the origins and honouring either the birthplace, if that is recognisable, because sometimes things have been so cross-pollinated over the years, it's very hard to find out what came from where. But you're really honouring that, but you're also giving people the option, the freedom to try this stuff. You can't think, oh, well, that's not in my ancestry, so I'm not allowed to do it. It's, you know, I'm pretty sure that most of these, the cultures, the religions, because a lot of this, the practices we're seeing today have just you know, they've just sort of been diluted over the years from religions or from cultures that really use these practices in their everyday lives. And, you know, we've lost that heritage and we've lost the the knowledge of where they're from. But they would have wanted all of these tools to be used so everybody feels better. For sure. So everybody can have more global peace, global harmony. So I think it's really important to like look back and honour, but also know that we can try these things and we can give them a go. And I thought you broke that down so beautifully in the book. Yeah, I think for me, I'm really like an advocate of just living in the grey. 
I think when we go towards one spectrum to the other, we're just like losing so much magic of just not knowing and trying to figure things out. And I think, you know, in our attempts to honour lineages and ancestry, we're going so far in the other direction, which was, you know, ask someone permission before you can do something. And I was like, well, who are you going to ask? Yeah. Because within any group of, you know, a culture or a religion or a, you know, spiritual group, everyone has a different opinion because we're all different for a reason. So, you know, we're speaking a lot about, you know, indigenous practice and using, you know, white sage for ceremonies and people saying, well, you should ask someone for permission before you do that. And it's like, well, who do you go to? There's not a spokesperson for every group. We're not monoliths, right? So I think the work for us to do individually is to work out, well, why am I using it? And I say to people all the time, it's like, it's just a waste of money using <laughs> sage. We have no, if you don't know what energy is, right? So it's like, it's for us to work out, well, is it air freshener for me? Or is it actually going to, you know, help? Am I using it in a superstitious way? Then I don't need to be doing that. So I think there is introspection there. And I think even with crystals, it's like, they're just expensive rocks unless you believe that they do something. Yeah. But also, more importantly, you're bringing your energy into that stone. So if you just have a crystal on your desk, then you have a crystal on your desk. Yeah. But if you say, well, alongside this, if this helps me to believe in something, if this brings me closer to nature, then yes, I will use the crystal. Otherwise, like, you spend your money on something delicious instead. You're so right. It's looking at, like, what is the meaning? What is the reason? Why am I... Is it going to benefit me in any way? Is it going to help move something on or for me to have a better understanding of myself. But mm. it's tricky. I even feel nervous talking about it with you now because mm. you're like, oh my God, someone's going to have an opinion and think I've said something wrong. And and I guess that's also where like nuance goes a bit missing because I would never want to offend anybody ever. Like I'm a people-pleasing little Virgo arsehole. Mm. I don't want to, I don't want to upset anyone. I just want to learn about stuff, yeah. and, but try new things and with respect. And I just think it's brilliant that you've included it in the book. It's a tricky one. Yeah, and I think there's also just like, we've got so much fear right now of like messing yeah. up and doing the wrong thing, but how will we ever learn unless we mess up a bit and we give each other the grace to mess up? So it's like, you know, when we speak about things like, you know, if when I think like Adele wore Bantu knots at one point yeah. and there was like a huge spectrum between people who found it deeply offensive and people who just didn't. So if you were saying, well, I'm going to ask somebody who's black for permission to wear Bantu knots, who are you going to ask? Mm -hmm. Because within that group of people, everyone had wildly different opinions. So, yeah, we will always offend someone and we will have people who are like, yeah, do your thing. No one cares. And it's like, <laughs> you know, I think we just have to give ourselves a grace of like, if this is going to really work for me. And help me to become, you know, a better person, a different person to then teach somebody else something, then surely the practice is worth me learning how to do. Yeah. Don't we all just want to feel a bit better? Exactly. Like, it's not that deep. No, we just all want to feel a bit better. And if we put grace and respect for mm -hmm. the origins behind it, even more beautiful, amazing. But we all, we all just want to feel better. And, and that's why the work you're doing is, is so, so important. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Let's talk about intuition. Again, a subject that I'm deeply fascinated with. 
I've had moments of my own intuition that's almost freaked me out. And then at times I feel like it's just vanished and I don't have any and it's just like clouds and I, I just can't see what I'm meant to be doing or what the answers are. And you say in the book that our intuition has been sort of stripped away from us to an extent and we're almost encouraged to numb it. And we don't even know we're numbing it, but the modern world supports that notion of you don't need your own intuition. Actually, you use the example of overnight oats mm. in the book, which I thought was brilliant, that everybody's like, you're meant to have overnight oats. So we go, oh, yeah, I'll do overnight oats. And you wake up and think, this is fucking disgusting. Yeah, This is like some weird sloppy gloop that I would serve in school. Like, why am I eating this? But- I was like bloated constantly. <laughs> and I was like, why am I bloated all the time? It's like, it's the bloody overnight oats. And I was like, why did I start doing that? Because every clean eating book said to eat overnight oats. And then I realized, well, so many of those books, right, are someone who's trying to heal from a condition or who has an intolerance to something. And I was like, but I don't have an intolerance to anything. Yeah. So why have I now stripped back every single food group from my diet? And it was such an important connection for me to make with intuition because I realized that we just do things on autopilot according to somebody else's truth. And we've not sat back and checked in and worked out, are they making me feel good? Mm. or not and I think when we're used to being overstressed and depleted and bloated yeah we just think well cool that's just the pain we suffer yeah and we forget to check in and work out well maybe before I started eating that I wasn't feeling this way so maybe for me that's a no yeah maybe I'll just eat bread like I always do before bread became like the enemy I miss bread I eat bread all the time I wish I could I go with IBS is that where we're going with this and so for my MS diet I don't have any you can't have it and it was just... Oh, my God. Gluten-free bread's not the same. I don't even waste my time with it. No, no, don't. don't I even. really wouldn't. Rye bread, is that an option? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, I'm very much just Still like... good. I'm trying... I just think that, you know, sometimes with, you know, even when we have conditions or intolerances, it becomes so fear-based. It's like, yeah. if I eat the sourdough, I might die. Yeah. And it's like, no, I'm going to be just fine. Because it's a lifestyle choice, right? And I think when it's a lifestyle choice, we will ebb and flow in between sourdoughing and not sourdoughing. So... <laughs> I'm really enjoying all the bread metaphors that we're throwing about here. That is so true. And again, because people with natural intuition, whether they are called a medium, clairsentient, whatever it might be, are often seen as sort of like wonderful freaks of nature. And I've got great friends that do those roles. And I'm like, how are you doing it? This is amazing. You know, like there's these special humans that have been born with this skill. We've all got it yeah. to varying degrees, but we're just taught to not tap into it. And that it's a, it would be a weird thing to have some sort of psychic experience or it would be a coincidence. Like that wasn't that wasn't you having any intuition. This That was just a like random coincidence. But we've all got it there. So how have you learned to cultivate it, to tap into it and to use it for, for your work? Yeah, and I think I just want to say, like, you know, not to break any hearts, but intuition is not a gift. It's not very special to have it. We all have it. Yeah. It's the same as having a toe. <laughs> and we just don't connect to it. So yeah. I think, you know, even for me, when people call me, you're, you know, you're an intuitive. I'm like, we have the same level of intuition. I'm just more connected to mine. And only because it's my job to. So I spend a lot of time harnessing it. That's the only difference. You know, when I worked in fashion, I wasn't, I didn't have time to do that. So I felt just as disconnected as everyone else did. So the only difference is time and space. And that's the answer to how we cultivate it. And I think the first step is realizing that intuition is not the same for everyone. The same with like energy, we all feel it to different degrees, the same with our intuition. So for me, as I said, in sessions, I might just get streams of consciousness. So I just like know stuff. For you, you just might be feeling things. So in your body, you said you're like your shoulder was hurting you. And yeah. that could be a sign of, I just know I'm really stressed today. 
So it's going to look very different. So I think we assume that everyone's a clairvoyant, which is seeing things. And we're like, well, unless I have, you know, really vivid dreams or visions and I'm not intuitive enough. And it's like, I don't really see many things. But I'm still intuitive. Mm. So I think it's giving yourself the freedom to know that it's going to look very different for you. So you have, when you have a stream of consciousness, is that... Are you hearing something? Is it is it just it just arrives? I'm intrigued to sort of ex- understand how you experience yeah. that. Um, so sometimes if I'm like doing a meditation, I'll just have this urge to start writing something, and I'll just be like frantically scribbling. And it's like there's not really like a connection between oh I've heard something I'm now going to write it. It's like my hands just like take over. Mm. And when I look back at what I've written, I'm like this is not my voice. I do not speak like this. Wow. <laughs> and you know that's why I channeled the whole book. It was just streams of consciousness that I then sat with. I think like I've got like thirty thousand word document on my computer of just nonsense, and then just really sitting with that, taking it in quite literally, and then you know channeling into human speak and making it accessible. But yeah, like some people have that as the the way they connect to their intuition or to spirit and other people it is seeing things. So in a meditation, it's like, what do you feel the most? Do you tend to see colours or are you feeling, you know, your tummy aching or tingling? Are you hearing things? Are you smelling things? And that's just all these beautiful like nods and nudges and signs of how we can connect to something. And again, does that, you know, do we start, like if, if someone out there is thinking, I've never felt a drop of intuition mm. in my entire life... Is the first thing to, to sort of have the awareness of that because, again, we're we're numbs to such a degree with TV, social media, how much we're on our devices, and that is just us feeling not only disconnected from other people but from ourselves, and then one level deeper, our intuition, and then I guess not beating yourself up if it's not like the first time you sit there. You know, if nothing arrives, fine. It's a, it's a practice. It's something that you have to check in with a lot. For sure. And it doesn't have to be, you know, like a very meditative situation. So if you're going to prep every single day, then ask yourself what you want. I think we all have the same orders in the same coffee shops continuously. Mm-hmm. And we just don't check in. So like, yeah, I'll just have the same coffee with, you know, the same syrup every single day. So tomorrow do something different. And I think, you know, we go into that coffee shop and we just check in with ourselves first and say, what do I want right now? And if the answer is, actually, you know what, I don't, I'm really warm, so maybe I'll have a cold drink instead, that's your intuition working. And it's that simple. And the more that we can live that way, the more we're just like saying to ourselves, I trust you. Because we only actually want to speak to our intuition when shit hits the fan. Yeah. It's like, okay, so it's I an have... It's It's like, hey, it's me. And your intuition's like, you have not spoken to me. Yeah. In You've years. You've been ignoring me for so long, as if I'm going to pop up now with the words yeah. you need to hear. Exactly. It's like in these like really big moments of like, should I move cities? We think we'll just have the answer. Mm. But it is just like those really small things of, you know, choosing between a coffee and a smoothie every morning that signals to ourselves, I can trust you. Mm. And until we can foster that trust, there's just no benefit. It's trust, isn't it? Because I often... I think most people, we don't trust ourselves. And again, it goes back to the overnight oats. We're so used to everyone telling us what the hell to do that we think, I don't know, I don't know. I, I need someone to tell me what to eat and what to drink and what to do and what to wear and where to go and where to live. And, and we just don't check in. And it's, and again, something's just sparked my memory from another part of the book where you're writing about, even if it's um, awful situations in our life mm. or relationships that we find very troubling mm. or a job that we don't like or whatever it might be. So much of this stuff is habit and we just mm. don't realise it, but we go back to the bad stuff because it feels safe. Mm-hmm. And I can see that in my own life, stuff that I find challenging. I know I'm a bit stuck in and mm. I feel safe in that because 
the alternative, obviously, is to do things differently, which is terrifying to all humans. We don't like change. We don't want to embrace newness because we assume it's going to be more tiring or or we have to expel more energy because it's all new and whatever. And this, a lot of it's habit. It's bad habit. It is. And I think it's just knowing that, you know, like the book title says, you know, create your best damn life. But your stuff doesn't want you to create your best damn life mm. out of fear. So when we're always saying, like, oh, I'm going to make these big choices, when they come, we're like, you know what? I'm good. I don't want to do that. So even for some people, it's like doing a podcast interview is their whole body saying, you can't do that. You're going to be really dumb at that. So you say, yep, actually, I can't make that. So then what happens, right? No one gets to hear your voice and your magic. You don't get to rise or to shine. So we're constantly, there's like constant cycles of saying no to amazing things because we're too scared to do them. Yeah. Because there's so much safety in the same thing. Oh, I've got loads of those ones that I can't do stuff because it's like, yeah, I'm like still very blocked with a lot of things like that Mm. in my life. And I I know I need to, yeah, try something new rather Mm. than fall into that habit. I think it will hit home with so many people. You go, oh my God, I know I'm doing that. I know I'm doing it. And that, again, I guess the first step is the awareness to then make a change, do something differently. And, And also there's a really interesting subject you discuss in looking at timings. Mm. I think the scientific word that you've used is phonology, which Mm. I'd never heard of. Is that pronounced correctly? And you give the example of a blackbird Mm. who will only ever make its first nest in Mm. February. If it made it in May, Mm. the whole ecosystem is screwed. So it has to make it in February and everything then follows suit in perfect organic timing. Mm. We don't do that in our lives or whatsoever. We are literally rallying against time Mm. and natural timings as much as we can. Even like simple things, people wanting to jet off in the winter to a Mm. hot country or sort of like not looking at the seasons or how we eat or whatever it might be. We're constantly just going, ah, timings don't matter in the Mm. seasons and how things naturally grow and evolve. So how do we implement that into our lives? Mm. How do we, does that also involve trust because we have to trust timings? Yeah, I think when we realise that we're part of this ecosystem, we realise we're interconnected. So something that I do will affect your life in some way at some point. And I think when we have these goals or ambitions and we say, well, you know, why is my person not arrived yet? Yeah. Why has this job not happened yet? Why am I still waiting? What if we shifted that to maybe it's taking so long because it will come at a time will best benefit and serve me. And I think we believe we're being punished when we have to wait for something. Mm. It's like, well, I've done something wrong if it's not happened yet. I'm really resenting the waiting period. But if we knew and trusted that, well, maybe it can't come today because I'm not ready yet. Maybe in a week's time, it'll feel better. So I use the example of, you know, if you are applying for a job and you're waiting to hear back or your job's not happened to you yet. Poor Wendy is in your job right now, hating her life. She needs to like, you know, watch some TV and realise this job is not for me. She needs to have the courage to then hand a resignation letter in. This could take six months. But if that will be the job that will best serve and benefit you, we have just to wait on Wendy's timeline. Yeah. And I think when we give ourselves that you know, permission to be in that waiting period and we say, all of this stuff is happening to serve and benefit me, I'll just take my foot off the gas for a second. Yeah, we think we've got to like push and fight all the time. And I think it's really ingrained in British culture as well that you, you have, it's like all about the struggle and the pain of it. And then you get the relief or the Mm. joy or whatever. And I don't know about you, but some of the stuff that I've, like, for instance, and actually you talk about this, you you say the book wasn't like this laborious, hellish process. The book flew out of you. It was easy for you to write this book. 
I had the same with this podcast. And also it feels like, you feel like a right twat saying it, but starting this podcast, I just sort of started it. And then weirdly people started listening. Mm. I'm very grateful they did. I'm eternally grateful every week that people listen. But it's not been a struggle. It's been really gorgeously organic mm-hmm. and natural and the right guest show up at the right time I met you at the right time when I was writing my last book getting contact with you wasn't a struggle us doing our zoom was easy you know we've got to get used to things being easy because we think it's all got to be a fight and, you know in some bits some obviously bits of life are mm-hmm. bloody challenging and awful and sometimes you set yourself goals where there's hard work involved but it can still be joyful and lovely and I think that's a real I don't know if it's the same in the States. I feel like it's a British thing that we have to fight and like push through things. Yeah, I think there's, you know, I think recently we've heard so many, you know, rhetoric and language around, you know, work hard. And it's been really drilled into us that, you know, well, why are you here unless you're here to work? And I think it just goes back to purpose, right? We believe that we are what we do. And we're really uncomfortable with the fact that we are not what we do. We just, we just are. Yeah. So we find it really hard just to be here. We think we have to earn our place here. So we're always fighting and working and pushing because we think it's what, you know, is due. Yeah. But so much of that is just living and being and exploring. So when people say, well, maybe you only got to where you are because you worked hard. I didn't work hard. I really didn't. I've worked hard internally and that it can be arduous work, but I just want a soft life. Yes. And like, it's really fun having one. <laughs> of course it is. We, that's what we want. Yeah. But but to say that and to and to acknowledge that that's the experience you're mm. having at the moment and it can continue in that way, obviously life challenges will come and go, but your working existence mm. is a soft and a gentle and a lovely mm. one and sometimes easy one for you. It goes against the grain and also very interested in unpicking this, do the inner work, create mm. your best damn life because I think... The general consensus is you work really, really hard and then you get to the top, top place that you can in your line of whatever it is and then you have your best damn life at the end yeah. where you're, you've are you done it and you've got the best job or you're earning a certain mm. amount or you've ticked all these dreams off the list. Then you can have mm. your best damn life. Yeah. But actually this is about, no, you have it, you can have it now when you're doing all the stuff and when you're, whether it's climbing or aiming for new things or challenging yourself, it's not tomorrow. We constantly think it's... When I, we've said this before on the podcast, but when you get the perfect partner, when you get the thing, it can be, it can be now. It can be now. For sure. And I think it's really hard when we, you know, when we link manifesting to external things. So it's like, you know, I don't speak of manifesting until probably chapter 12 because it's not the point. The point is that we're just removing the filter that we see the world through. So that's what the inner work is doing is simply showing us the same world that we lived in, but we now see it differently. So if before you were carrying around with you, you know, some childhood bullying through doing the work, that filter removes. So it affects how you then show up and respond to this exact same world that you were in before. So life will feel amazing and beautiful and exciting, but it's because you have changed. And that to me is what manifesting is. So if you get, you know, a car or a dream house or not, how you show up here has changed. So the world will always feel that there's more potential and possibility. So I think it's just knowing that we can, we should be living in that right now because we always, we already know, you know, so many things happen. And and I guess it's, you know, your your best damn life is whatever the hell you want it to be. Not not some prescribed notion of many of us will go, you know, I'm not immune to this. I'll mm. still think, oh my God, when I get past that week where I've got like four podcasts mm. and loads of 
things to write, then I'll feel okay because mm. I'll be relieved. And then you get to it and you go, oh, I still feel the same. Shit. Mm. But we do it on huge scales of, like we said, when I get the house, when I get the car. We all know people that have got all that stuff who are bloody miserable. Mm -hmm. There's like loads of them out there. So it is about that every day. But also it's about your best damn life might be a sort of a small, quiet life. That's mm -hmm. what it is for me these days. It didn't used to be. I used to want my, in my 20s, it was like, Where's the roller coaster? Get me on it. I want the massive highs, the big lows. And oh my God, I had all of them. And it had to be exciting. It had to be extreme. And it had to be really visual and really big. That now scares the shit out of me. And my best damn life is things just being quiet yeah. and calm and manageable and pleasant here and there. And for me to find some peace in my head, it's really not about anything on an exterior level. It's like, can my head just feel peaceful? And then that, that for me, is my best damn life. Yeah. But probably, more so to do with social media, we, we might read that best damn life and think, Instagram, I'm on holiday and I'm in the bikini and I'm then I'm going out for a night out and everyone's drinking and we're all laughing and it's so fun. And it's like, that's not everyone's best damn life. For sure. And I think, you know, this work only works if you know who you are. Yeah. So doing the inner work is just you returning back to yourself. And that is the version of you that exists underneath who the world told you you had to be. Right. So how do you find that then? Because I, I've had periods of life where I think, and in a cliched way, after I had kids, I don't know who I am. Who mm. the, what do I even like anymore? Mm. How have you rooted into who you are? I think it's just exploring. And I think that's why this work can't exist in a meditation and journaling practice. It's just you in Whole Foods saying, I don't actually like this anymore. So what do I like now? It's you watching TV and being here and saying, that person's really annoying me. I find these kind of people really confronting. It's you working out, okay, well, where am I prioritizing people loving and liking me instead of just choosing myself? So it's just us being here and living to work out who we are. And we're not trying to become something. Yeah. I think that we're becoming is so laden with assumption of who you're trying to become. No one can teach you confidence because what branch of confidence are they trying to teach you? So if we believe that confidence looks like being very outspoken and red lipsticks and power stances and public speaking, you might hate that. Yeah. So confidence to you is just you being you and not being afraid to show the world who you are. Yeah. So, not being afraid to like yeah. sit in silence sometimes, which is probably the scarier thing is just like to not say anything and yeah. to be quiet. I watched this video yesterday that's just sprung to mind with you saying that. I think it's quite old, but it's of Jim Carrey who I've watched some great videos of him lately and he's saying some very interesting mm -hmm. things. He had the words on screen, depressed. Mm -hmm. and, he, and then he then said, deep rest. And I was like, oh, wow, I hadn't thought of that before. And he said, this is your body saying, fuck you, I don't want to be this character anymore. Mm -hmm. And then your body has to go into deep rest, depressed. And I was like, oh, my God. Mm -hmm. That's sort of, not that I'm in a depressed state now because I've been in one, but that's how I often feel like, who am I? Can I keep being this person? Mm. Is that really me? How much of this is so I don't get shit on Instagram? How much of this is so that I fit in? How much of this is so I progress in my career? Mm. Who actually, what do I want to say and be and do without fear, without feeling like I'm just sacking everything off? Mm. You know, who, and it's a re, it's a big question and it's really hard to, to get the essence of who you are. But that yesterday just so resonated, like, oh my God, I'm sick of a bit of the characters or the character that I play. It's like, it's draining. Yeah, and I think it's also, you know, that idea of returning back to yourself is because we were whole when we got here. 
Oh, yes. It's only the world that told us that we weren't. So it's like, you know, when you're in the supermarket when you're a child and you're just like touching everything and grabbing people's hair, <laughs> were you not confident? Yes. You had to be to survive. You know, if you're like, oh my God, what is this? I want to just like lick the earth. Mm. You were really confident. Yeah. And it's only when someone told you, you shouldn't do that, then you stop doing it. It's when you went to school and you put your hand up and someone said, I don't think you should say anything. Then you put your hand back down. It's in relationships that someone said to you, you're not good enough. It's in your job that said, you know, you're not smart enough. So it's all of those things that said to you, you're not supposed to be who you are. So when we unpack that through doing the inner work, right, we then realize, well, underneath all that stuff is someone who was already confident and whole and worthy and wasn't distracting or trying to please people on Instagram. That's who you are. And it's not a new character to put on, which is, you know, the new enlightened best damn life character It is who you've always been underneath everything. Yeah. And I guess then, like, I'm just, you know, self-indulgently looking at my own scenario here. But if I if I concentrate, which I do, unfortunately, a lot on exterior projection, so people having commentary on me or what I've said or judgment, it terrifies me so I have over the years diluted myself been absolutely silent Mm -hmm. turned down lots of work because I don't feel confident in that space but then I have to go but what like you've just said what is that fear because if everybody's saying to me you're a piece of shit or Mm -hmm. you shouldn't have said that or you shouldn't have done this or whatever I am still a whole human Mm -hmm. that was born into the earth like that it doesn't matter whatever it might it's gonna hurt and it's gonna feel weird but it can't actually affect me I am a whole human who turned up as I did, as you did, whoever's listening to this, you turned up as you were and that was perfect and that was fine. Mm. And all of that exterior stuff, if we can be blunt, is sort of irrelevant. It is. And I think we believe that that's where the magic is. Yeah. So we do everything in our power to chase and seek validation there when the answer's not there. So when you say to yourself, well, I can only be happy when I get a partner and they arrive and they're a piece of shit, then you're like, oh, yeah. Like the same version of me is still here pre and post relationship. Yeah. So the answer was always you. And I think of what you said before about, you know, that authenticity piece of people. I always say to people, well, they don't have to live in your choice. So when you say, oh, actually, I can't do that. And you shrink who you are to make someone else comfortable. You have to live in your choice. Yeah. So you'll just be like there in resentment corner. And they'll be like, well, I'm happy because I'm still comfortable. But Fern's not happy anymore because she's chosen something to benefit me and not her. So I had um, a client once who wanted to elope, but her whole family was just like, no, you can't do that. You need to have a really big wedding. And I was like, well, they'll be mad for like a week, but you have to live for the rest of your life knowing you didn't stand in your choice. They don't have to do that. They're not in your marriage. They're not at home with you crying every night because of the choice that you made. So I think we just have to really remember that we have to live in our choices to make people feel comfortable or not. I think it's the best lesson we can learn I mean I I am still like rumbling through that one trying so hard to like learn how to do boundaries and learn how to feel comfortable with other people's discomfort and all of that stuff but I can see the power in it I can see the power in having the confidence to say what you need to say with backed by kindness and love but because it's right for you And then you feeling peaceful because of that forever Mm. rather than holding resentment, which is physically stored. Like some of my stuff yesterday that lived in my neck was Mm. resentment. It was resentment and it was there. I could bloody feel it. So I get it. It's the most important thing we can learn. I think we all, I guess we just have to go out and practice it. Yeah, and I think, you know, with boundaries, I think we've given it such a lofty title, which sounds like, you know, saying someone no. Yeah. But actually just you asking for what your needs are. 
And that can be in a very gentle way. So you can just say to someone, hey, what I really would love from you right now is just to just give me a little bit of space. It doesn't have to be an Instagram quote version of no, I don't want that. Stop talking to me. <laughs> so I think it's just like knowing that, you know, so much of, I guess, that really therapized culture that we live in. It's just bringing it back down to basics and just saying to people, hey, I just love you to make me laugh today. Yeah. And like, don't give me any advice. And that's it. More laughter. Don't we just all need a bit more laughter and a bit more levity and things to be a bit less serious? Yeah, like that's part of the work, right? The inner work is also living alongside, you know, not only are we always processing and being aware, yeah. it's just being here and being human. And people always say to me, well, I think like... I love that you watch Real Housewives. I'm like, why would I not watch Real Housewives? Absolutely. I'm watching the Parisian Agency every night mm. at the moment and I am obsessed. It's the best reality show I've ever yeah. seen. But I'll still go out and do my little rituals in the garden and whatnot. I can do both. 100%. Like it has to live alongside it. So yeah. spirituality is just like you being here, being human. You don't have to wear anything special, have crystals or do anything. It's just having a human experience. My friend Alex, who, who wrote a piece in Bigger Than Us mm. alongside yourself... Um, has got really interesting backstory. She's from Ecuador. She's done lots of different jobs and whatnot. She spends most of her year now in Mexico. She's just got back, actually, I think yesterday from a four or five month stint there. And she lives with the grandmas in Mexico and she and she learns from them. She's been doing this for, for years and years. And she said on one of her first trips... The grandmas were passing around shots of whatever it was, vodka or something. And um, and they went here and she went, no, 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 no. She was being very serious about her whole thing. No, 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 I'm, I don't want to be intoxicated. I want to be clear-headed for this thing. And they were all like, lighten up, yeah. have a shot and have a laugh. And we've made it this really serious, virtuous thing over here where it's got to be serious and we've got to be the biggest empath ever. And it's mm. like, no, sometimes you want a shot of vodka and you want to tell someone to fuck off. Exactly. And still be a spiritual person. A hundred percent. It's like you can gossip and swear yes. and eat what you want yes. and wear like actual clothes and not linen <laughs> and just like have some fun and like get drunk with your friends. Like that is a spiritual experience. Yeah, because, you're laughing. It's a high yeah. vibration. Because like if you know that you're a spiritual being because you're here, then whatever you do here is a spiritual practice. Yes. So yeah, I'm a huge advocate for like, it's just not that serious. No, it's really not. No. More fun, more laughter. We all need that more than anything at the moment. Like, that is what we need. You mustn't feel guilty for feeling joy and laughter. Lean the hell into it. If I learned anything from this podcast, it was when Jane Goodall, who's, you know, in her late 80s, said, yes, I can be deeply worried about the environment and then go and have a wonderful dinner with friends that I love and laugh. Mm. Like, we have to be able to lean into those good moments of joy and Mm. have fun you know we've got to, it's a gift and we've got to we've got to grab a hold of it and enjoy mm. every minute of it um oh, i've loved talking to you today and i know that we'll do other things together and collaborate further mm. i hope but it's a beautiful book i loved loved reading it and um thank you so much for coming on today thank you for having me do you know what i'm very here for any teachings that basically say laugh more often that's that's the key isn't it just have a giggle and you'll feel better. Giselle, thank you so much for that chat. You made me feel incredibly energised. Can't wait to chat to you again soon. If Giselle's thoughts resonated with you and you want to learn more, her book, Take It In, Do The Inner Work, Create Your Best Damn Life, is out now. I think you're going to absolutely love next week's episode. Oh my God. So make sure you're notified as soon as it's available by clicking the follow button on your podcast app of choice. And if you can't wait a week, you can always scroll back through the Happy Place feed to find loads of other episodes. 
don't be shy. Go into the archives and have a look what's there. We've got hundreds of the things, and they're just there's so many great guests like Alicia Keys and David Harewood. Go have a look. Oh, and my mum, which was um, a very interesting episode, which I've had great feedback from. So do go check it out if you haven't already. Massive thanks again to Giselle, to the producer Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio, you lovely human, and to you. I cherish and love you very much and I hope to see you next week. Chat soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.